this morning talking about neighboring. So um, I've been doing several seminars for the church throughout this spring. Those are usually two and a half hours long. So we have cut it down dramatically for our time together. Um, We're going to spend about 45 minutes cruising through some of this material. So hopefully we can track together. The graphic that's on the screen and on your handouts in the half-size card is what we're going to talk about first of all. It's the nine arts of spiritual conversation. And um, starting with the red section, and you can kind of see that they're, they're in the shape of an arrow moving from the left to the right. The red section has the words notice, pray, and listen. And that's the first stage that happens when we decide to notice the people that God has placed around us, to pray for them, and begin to listen to what our neighbors are actually saying. And as we notice, pray, and listen, we begin to learn who our neighbors really are, and we begin to get past of our fe- some of our fears and assumptions. Sometimes I think we turn people into caricatures. We assume things about people that aren't necessarily true. So that's the first stage, is noticing them, praying for them, and listening to their stories. Then we move on into the blue section, which has ask questions, love, and show welcome and hospitality. This second stage involves learning to ask meaningful questions. And the way that I describe this is be curious about people. Be curious about their stories, their backgrounds, um, who are they and how did they get to this place. Be willing to love people where they are. And this is a big jump, I think, sometimes. It means just like Jesus loved us where we are or where we were, um, we are called to love people where they are right now, not where we want them to be, not where we wish they were, but where they are right now. Um, and learn how to offer welcome and hospitality. So this means that we begin to include our neighbors in our lives. The third section in the green is facilitate, serve, and share. And the definition I'm using for facilitate is to make easier, to move forward, or to make something possible. And the way I think about this, in the, in the longer seminar, I use the story of the four friends who brought the paralyzed man to Jesus and lowered him on a mat through the roof. Um, so that's the image I have in my head when I think of facilitate, and it's this idea of people stopping at nothing to get their friends in front of Jesus. So for us to be thinking, um, you know, what, what would it take for me to get my friend in, in front of Jesus? What are some creative ways to get my friend in front of Jesus? Um, Okay, and serving is this idea of serving them um, or serving together or even being served by them, looking for opportunities um, to go out of our way to show care. And then sharing is being able to articulate what God has done in our own lives, being able to naturally talk about that, what God is currently doing in our lives, Um, being able to do that in a way that feels natural and accessible Um, not using too much Christianese, but using natural language to reach our friends. Because I think that if we're engaged with our friends, if they know something about our lives, that will generate a curiosity in them to try to understand who we are and how we got to this place. And that includes God's story. So for us just to be able to put that into words in a way that they can understand. So also in this graphic, um, at the top, I have the word risk. And that's just in recognition that this process, as you move from notice, pray, and listen to questions, 
love and welcome and to facilitate, serve and share, as you move from the left to the right across this graphic, these steps require more personal risk. So anybody can notice, pray and listen. We can do that quietly on our own. But in order to start serving and sharing, that requires more risk for us. Um, but I believe that God calls us to that because he knows that it drives us to a deeper level of dependence upon him, which is God's goal. Uh, he wants us to remember that we need him. And I think that's an important part of our own discipleship process. So we need to develop a love for our neighbors that causes us to get out of the car. And I shared this a few years ago in women's Bible study, but um, my husband is much more extroverted than I am. He likes to talk to people, and people make me kind of nervous. So I have to force myself into these kinds of situations. Um, and when I would drop my kids off at soccer practice, uh, for a long time I would just sit in my car and read my devotional books, you know, or sit there and knit, or, you know, do something, spend time with God. And he would, I would go home, and he would say, who did you talk to today? Who did you get to know? I'd say, no one, but I was reading my book, I was talking to Jesus, you know, and he's like, would you just get out of the car and talk to people? <laughs> and his point was, if we're going to have an impact on people, we need to be in proximity to them. It means developing relationships, and sometimes those relationships are risky because they're different than our Christian relationships. We don't necessarily have shared values yet, so it, it's, it's going to be a little bit different, but... If we're going to have an impact, that's where it starts. So that's my reminder to get out of the car and to start somewhere in uh, building intentional relationships. Okay. This is a picture of a Bible. Um, I, I just have to take a step back and say that I think that women are uniquely gifted to participate in this process. We tend to naturally be more relational. Um, except for my husband, who can talk to anyone, anywhere. Um, but most, most women are just naturally good at this, about just looking for ways to in connect and incorporate people. Um, and I think that we have a tremendous opportunity, especially when you've got small kids at home, it's just sort of a natural bonding thing to grow in these relationships. And there's a story from our church, Chuck and Colleen Wartman, this is Colleen's Bible that's in this picture. Um, and many years ago, I think it was about 16 years ago, they lived in a cul-de-sac um, in St. Charles. It's actually in my neighborhood, which I think makes this really fun. Um, and Jan and Steve Jeffrey were their neighbors, lived in the same cul-de-sac. And Jan told me that she knew the Wartmans. She knew they didn't go to church. And at that time, Jan and Steve's kids were kind of moving out of the house. They were older, older high school and kind of moving into college. Um, so she observed this younger family, the Wartmans and their kids, and she had a heart that was sort of broken for them because she knew that the kids weren't being raised in church. And she just kind of struggled with that. She wanted to get those kids in front of Jesus. She wanted them to have the same sort of opportunities to learn about Jesus that her own kids had had. So she just you know, didn't set out to do anything great. She just got to know them and spend time with them. Um, and Colleen describes it. She said she knew that they loved her kids, and she appreciated that they took the time to get to know her family, that they didn't judge her, you know, regardless of the differences. 
Um, but she said they just were always looking for opportunities to help, and they were authentic, and they were real. She said, she even described this, and this was kind of funny. She said, one time they were going on a bike ride, and she said they kind of circled up in the driveway, and they spent, they all bowed their heads and had a moment of prayer. And um, I interviewed Jan and Steve at the same time, and Steve was like, I don't remember that happening. He was like, we probably just had a fight, and so we were like praying about it <laughs> to resolve it. Um, but for Colleen, she's looking at this family and saying, there's just something different about the way these people live and the way they parent and the way that they love each other. So she's watching this. She's observing this. And in the midst of this, Jan reached out and invited Colleen and her kids to come to the Easter extravaganza. In her head, she's thinking, this is a fun thing for their family. They'll you know, get Easter eggs, and they'll hear a little bit about Jesus, and this is a great first step. But for Colleen, it's funny to hear the differences in the stories. Like, this was a life-changing event. You know, Jan just thinks, you know, here's a casual invitation, but Colleen was like stepping across a threshold of a church with her children um, and letting them hear about Jesus. This was a major first step. And from there, um, it, Jan just continued to invite Colleen to things. Colleen ended up coming to Bible study, and Colleen had to admit to Jan that she didn't own her own Bible. And that's the picture that we have here. Jan went out and bought her a Bible. And I can fully disclose this because they're not here, but Jan was saying at the time, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom, and her husband was an educator. He was a teacher, so it's not like they had a lot of money. So buying this nice study Bible was a bit of a sacrifice for her. But she just had, again, this heart for this woman and thought, if she wants a Bible, I'm getting her the best one that I can find, and it's the same one that she used at home. And you can see maybe with the lights a little bit, but that Bible's marked up, it's written in, it's been well-loved. Um, and Colleen was saying she still uses this Bible today. And I got to tell you, when they were telling me the story, they were both weeping at this point. So it's just a sweet story. And the best part about it, in my mind, is that Jan and Steve were like, we didn't really do anything. I mean, we just were neighbors, and we invited them to a couple things. But for Colleen, it was a major life-changing moment. And they're still very involved in our church. In fact, um, I was sharing this story at one of the neighboring seminars, and somebody yelled out, my kid's over at West Campus with Colleen right now. She's teaching them and Elevate, you know? And I thought, that's great. That's absolutely true. These people are continuing um, to be a part of our church and to serve in the context of our church. Okay. Chris, I'm going to have you come up and read some scripture for us. If you've got your Bible, if you could turn to John 1, 43 through 51, it'll be on the screens, but I think it's nice to follow along. I'll give you a minute to get that out. So John 1, 43 through 51. This is the call of Philip and Nathaniel. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. (laughs) Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thanks, Chris. Okay. There are some great things about this passage. I just want to point out a few of them to you. Um, First is the call that Jesus offers to Philip. And it's pretty blunt and pretty straightforward. It says, Jesus found Philip and he said, follow me. And Philip did. Um, Then Philip, you see, having this reaction where he goes to his friend and immediately starts to talk about what he's seen, right? So he's so filled filled with joy and excitement that he immediately goes and finds his buddy and starts telling him about Jesus. And Nathaniel's not impressed at all. He's sort of, you know, well, Nazareth, you know, that's a tiny backwater. What good could come from there? Um, And Philip, and I want you to notice this, he doesn't argue with him. He doesn't, you know, whip out his apologetics and start describing who, you know, telling him who Jesus is. He just says, come and see. And I think there's something pretty remarkable about that. Um, so Philip goes with, or Nathaniel goes with Philip, and I really do think this is because they have a relationship. Nathaniel is willing to go with Philip to see Jesus. Um, he's not impressed. He doesn't really believe, but he believes in his friend. And because he loves his friend, he goes with him. And Jesus sees him coming and starts to describe something about Nathaniel. Um, and there's a little bit of mystery in this passage. Like, every time I read it, I'm, I'm dying to know what Nathaniel was thinking about under the fig tree, right? Or what was going on there that just that comment alone got his attention. Uh, but there's something personal and unique to this situation that only Jesus and Nathaniel know about. But for whatever reason, Nathaniel responds recognizing that this truly is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. So he makes this connection himself. Um, And Jesus promises him, you're going to see so much more, um, more than this. So there's a few things um, that are really great about this passage. But uh, Jesus found Philip where he was. So he found him and said, follow me. And he he went with him. He loved him and called him where he was, but he didn't leave him there. This is a consistent theme in how God calls people. He finds us in the midst of wherever it is that we are in our sin, in our mess, in our you know, running away from him. That's where he finds us, and he loves us there. And I think that's important for us to recognize in our neighbors. Sometimes we're like, God could never reach that person. They are so far from him. But that's exactly where God starts, right? That's where he loves people, and he doesn't leave people there. He changes them. Philip found his friend and told him about Jesus because, again, Philip has had... A change. He's had a relationship with Jesus, and because of that, he can't contain it. He can't keep it to himself. So he immediately goes and finds his friend. We saw that Nathaniel was skeptical, and Philip's response is just come and see. The other thing I want you to see is that Jesus already knew about Nathaniel. He is already working in the lives of our friends and neighbors, and I think this is important. Sometimes we tend to have this misconception that we bring Jesus to people, and that's not true. Jesus is already there. The Holy Spirit is already working in the lives of our friends and neighbors, so sometimes we get really like, this is so scary and terrifying, you know, but God goes before us. We see that all throughout Scripture. God goes before us. All he asks is for us to be obedient. So I want you to see that in this 
situation, um, Jesus was already with Nathaniel. He saw him under the fig tree, whatever that means. Um, and Nathaniel recognized it. So God's already working on people's hearts. He's just asking us to be obedient and he, because he wants us to learn to be a part of that process. Nathaniel was transformed by his encounter with Jesus, and Jesus told him to expect and see and learn more about God through his relationship with Jesus. Okay. I'm going to make you guys do an exercise. Are you excited? Um, on the cards I gave you, on the bottom half, there are some questions where it says exercise. Um, I'm going to give you guys a few minutes, and here, here are um, the rules or the requirements. I want you to find somebody in this room that you don't know very well. Um, somebody that you're maybe don't know the details of their lives. And I want you to take turns asking each other just one or two of these questions. It's an exercise to teach us what it's like to go below the surface in our relationships um, and to find out things that are happening in each other's lives, things that are important, things that have value. So I'm going to give you all We'll see maybe five to eight minutes. So find someone, and it's just a couple of these questions just to have that experience to see what it's like. So go ahead and break. My favorite thing apart, my favorite thing about doing these is how people get caught up in the talking, which is kind of fun. But if you would go ahead and make your way back to your seat, that would be helpful. Um, as you are heading to your seats, I wanted to show you on your chairs, there should have been a paper that looks like this. Um, I labeled it Women's Neighboring Resources. There are several books that are being published right now that are specifically about this topic. So I've included a couple of my favorites. The first one is How to Love Your Neighbor Without Being Weird, which I kind of love that title. And then I gave you a little description of it. And then the second one is Here Goes Nothing. It's an introvert's reckless attempt to love her neighbor, uh, which speaks to me a little bit. And then the third one is called The Turquoise Table, Finding Community and Connection in Your Own Front Yard, which if you were at church on Sunday, we saw a video about uh, the author of this book, which I'm going to show you again in a minute because I love it so much. Um, but I just wanted to make you aware of those titles. The first one is already in the church library. The second one I ordered today. And the third one we will order in June. And if you look at the front of your card, two of you should have a little star on your card. I'm, I'm not good at giveaways, but I'm, I'm attempting. Yes, if you've got a little star, come up because I've got books. So, I'll let you guys pick theirs. Here goes nothing or how to love your neighbor without being weird. Sure. Super. <laughs> awesome. Um, but I would encourage you all to think of practical, practical ways to love your neighbors. And in fact, I included on the back of your card a list. This, these are just 21 ideas and there are so many more out there, but I tried to narrow it down to ones that I thought that I would actually do. Um, or that are just really, really doable. But a few things that my family does, um, every Halloween, uh, we invite the neighbors over after trick-or-treating and we do chili and hot dogs in the front yard. Uh, we set up a fire pit in the front yard and we do 
you know, hot apple cider and water bottles and chili and hot dogs. Uh, because when people are trick-or-treating, they usually aren't planning dinner at the same time, and we have tiny kids, and so do our neighbors. So everybody ends up in our front yard, and we all eat together and hang out. So, And it's interesting to me because even the neighbors that don't have kids that are little and living at home end up in my front yard, which is super fun. Um, we've done a few things like this over the years. My husband this year decided to put an ice rink in our front yard, and it would have fit in the backyard, but this is completely Jeff Tarot wisdom. He's like, but if it's in the backyard, nobody can see if we're using it. Of course. So he put it in our front yard so that all the neighbors would come over when we were out there skating. So it's just kind of fun. But yes, there are 21 ideas to get you started. I would challenge you all. Michelle asked me to do a challenge for you. And the two things that I would say is the first is to look to start building intentional relationships with a neighbor. And this, when I use the word neighbor, I don't necessarily mean your literal neighbor, although that does include that. Um, but somebody that God has placed in your life on a regular basis, somebody that you see over and over again that you know isn't walking with Jesus. Um, so start to look for ways to, to start friending them or to start coming alongside of them. And I would just say, this doesn't mean you have to like drop the four spiritual laws on them you know, in the first conversation. It means just be a friend to them. Um, and over time, God will come up. Um, but it, it's just about being authentic and being kind and getting to know them. And the second sort of challenge I would offer is to pick one of these practical ideas on the back to try. It's especially fun if you've got little kids at home to involve them in the process. We've done the thing where we take cookies to the neighbors at Christmas, things like that. Um, so it's just a way to love your neighbors, an excuse to get to know them and to knock on their door. So along those lines, I'm going to show you this video. Hopefully. Tree in the front yard. I 
it was awkward at first. So I have this table, it's bright turquoise, it's sitting in the front yard, and now I'm like, oh man, what do I do? So I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer, and I even um, I had some art stuff that I was working on because, you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. By going out front and just saying to God, here I am, Lord, your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood. And that very day, life changed. And I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard. A lot has happened since putting the table out there. There are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know. It has become kind of a gathering place. So one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life. The neighborhood kids come over. They'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just for 15 minutes, a cup, maybe a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. And the Lord has taught me, and I am learning to be present. And that it sounds like it should be a no-brainer, but listening is not a skill that came naturally at first for me, nor was being present. Loving my neighbors has taught me how to love God better. It's drawn me into deeper relationship with Him. You don't need permission or a program to go outside and be who Christ has called you to be. When we open up our front door, when we take three steps right out our front yard, good things happen. Open up your door and let God do the rest. about that that I really love and appreciate is that she wasn't doing something huge or dramatic. She was just sitting in her front yard looking for opportunities to connect with people. Um, and I love that it's about being available and seeing what God does. And she mentions that it draws her closer and deeper in her relationship with Jesus as she's taking those risks and putting herself out there. So I hope this is helpful for you. I, um, hope that these tools are helpful and I wanted you all to spend time talking with each other because I do think there's something where in our culture where we're near people a lot but we don't necessarily know people well so anything that we can do to sort of exercise those skills I think are helpful I'm going to close this in prayer and then I'll turn it back over to Michelle Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this time together and for this reminder of the value of the people that you put in our life, that you love them and that you go before us and that you're working in the lives of the people all around us. And thank you that you are willing to use us um, to love them on your behalf. God, give us your eyes. Give us a willingness um, to take risks in order to be obedient to you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Mm -hmm.